Hello, everyone. My name is Patrina King, host of Mulligan Nation, also known as Do-Over Nation, where amazing professionals discuss relevant topics with the goal of providing tools to help you take a few mulligans in your own life and business. Now, what is a mulligan? Do you even know what a mulligan is? I'm saying M-U-L-L-I-G-A-N, mulligan. So a mulligan is a do-over without a penalty in golf. So when you're playing, not professional golf, business golf or recreational golf, and you mess up, you just basically drop a new ball and act like nothing happened. That's what a mulligan is. So every show, I'm going to introduce you to a new business golf term to help you build your golf knowledge. Because if you are a business owner or even a professional employee, golf needs to be a part of your business plan. Yes, it does. And if you need help with that, let us know. We can help you with that. Put it in there. How to put it in there. But so what I'm going to do is help you build your terminology bank slowly but surely because some people are just so unfamiliar with golf and I totally understand that I own an entire company that helped introduce people to golf so I get it if you're like that you're actually one of my my type of person my favorite type of person in the world so um but we're going to help you build that terminology bank and speaking of terminology and bank I want to go ahead and bring in my guest for today Miss Shanita Penny Shanita is and has been my eyes and ears into the weed business. Now, if you want to talk about an entire industry taking a mulligan, that weed industry is what it is. So because once upon a time, weed was taboo, even though it grows from the earth, weed was just such a bad thing. It was taboo. But now cannabis it's becoming more and more of an acceptable term and an acceptable business in, business industry. So Shanita is going to talk to us all about that. Welcome to the show, Shanita. Hi, Katrina. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so glad that you are here. We have so much to talk about because, you know, a lot of people, they think about weed and they're like, oh no, it's just so bad. And this, especially certain generations that, you know, as we as, as we're learning the uh, positive effects of certain parts of the plant itself, some of these people who are afraid of it because of their perception are missing out on the medical benefits. So let's talk a little bit about that first. Um, I, you know what? Let me back up. I want to start with your journey into the cannabis business. How? Where were you before? How did you get here? What made you? interested in it talk to us about that and also tell us about who you are sure thing well I've always had a relationship with the cannabis plant um I started consuming um you know pretty young uh too young now that I am you know as educated about (laughs) the right about cannabis as I am um but in hindsight, it was not anything that harmed me. Um, and when I compare it to things that I could have gotten into as passionately, <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it's been a win-win for me, especially when I was able to transition my consulting business uh, to work in the space. I was, you know, doing IT consulting, um, you know, sitting in everything from a cubicle to, you know, working from home for whatever company that happened to be um, a client at the time, um, but very much aware of what was happening in terms of the evolution of legalization and the industry. Um, In 2013, I, you know, really committed to exploring what cannabis uh, could be for me professionally. Okay. And I went out to California and said, nope, not it. I'm going back to my cubicle. <laughs> okay, you gotta tell us about that. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. So I went out on a trip and you know I was I was very much at that um place in my life where I was gonna pursue a PhD and teach or I was going to pursue entrepreneurship. 
And so I fully understood how to um, transition from an independent consultant to building a uh, consulting, you know, a boutique consulting firm. And I'd been a part of, you know, working with folks who had done it. Um, I worked for these people, worked with these people. And so that was my vision for cannabis. Mm-hmm. When I went out to California, um, you know, potential clients for me at that time were nothing like going into a Fortune 500 company and saying, hey, here's what I do. I see that you have an opportunity and you formally engage, you get paid regularly, Uh you know, (laughs) people are following the rules. You don't have to worry about being affiliated with, you know, illegal activity. Right. The cannabis industry was not for me at that time. Okay. And I needed to position myself so that I could get into such a risky environment and feel comfortable. Gotcha. And feeling comfortable meant a lot of things. It wasn't just about, you know, the paycheck. It was also about what you hit on earlier. It was the stigma associated with cannabis use first and foremost, right? I was barely telling people, if you smoking weed, you only knew I smoked weed if we smoked weed together. (laughs) So, you know, I didn't leave room for people to, you know, oh my gosh, she's smoking weed. I don't need the judgment and I don't need it showing up in my day to day because cannabis was not a part of my, it wasn't a part of my persona. It wasn't a part of my, you know, it, it, it wasn't a part of my life. Mm-hmm. Except mm-hmm. when I was with, you know, that select group of friends or in the comfort of my own home. And right. so um, the industry just wasn't mature enough for me at that time. Uh, but I also fully understood the opportunity that helping mature the industry, uh, I understood that opportunity. So I went back to, to, to my business, um, you know, and it allowed, it allowed me to, you know, continue to learn more about what's happening in the industry and really figure out how I was going to enter the cannabis space. And what I committed to at that point, because like I said, I was already on this journey of, you know, I, I, I committed to entrepreneurship at this point. I was already on this journey. And so it was just like the research. It was, it was the recon. It was, you know, they say you work your nine to five uh, and pay the bills and that funds your, and that should also fund your hustle. You know, it should fund your, your dream. And so I did the, I continued doing corporate consulting and small business consulting. And then also uh, really started following the uh, policy um, and, and advocacy organizations, watching what businesses were doing. And so that was what I would do when I wasn't working. Um, I was working on my business. And so two years later, um, the state of Maryland finally got on board. Now, what uh, did you have? Wait, let's, let's wait. This is not going to run past that, right? So, okay, let's, let's back up. Because, wait, I, because I think I know, I, and I know some things, you know, I've been following you um, for a while. You are a project manager by trade. Is that correct? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that makes sense. And then the whole thing of, um, you know, not really being comfortable or, you know, getting into this business that was considered kind of risky. That was you coming from a very corporate environment where everything is buttoned up and, you know, yeah. bring out your best self. So I totally get that. Now, when Maryland, did you have anything to do with it coming to Maryland or was it already there? And that's what, you know, you know, kicked it off for you even more. Yeah, so in 2013, uh, Maryland passed a medical cannabis uh, bill. And so I thought it was going to be a quick thing. So I jumped up and, like I said, started going out to California and tried to figure out my place so that I would be ready for uh, Maryland. And, what you know, from a policy perspective, helping to legalize, no. Okay. I got wind of what was happening um like i said in 2013 um and it was it was literally the announcement that this had passed and then the uh law at that time required universities to actually grow uh medical cannabis they were going to be there were this wasn't a a business opportunity in 2013 in maryland and so i went out you know like i said to explore opportunities in california i was going to busy myself until what happened in 2015 happened. And that was the um, launch of Maryland's medical cannabis program. The universities backed out. And so now it became an opportunity for industry. 
So the same group, this this um, gentleman that engaged me in 2013, you know, on another business endeavor, he comes back to me and he's like, hey, uh, you know that opportunity that you explored for me back in the day? Um, I'd love to, to know more about medical cannabis. You think you can look into that? And I'm like, what? He must, he must be reading my mind. Really? And you know what it, and no, you know what it really was? What? A general contractor that had done some work on my house, right? So he's in my house. Oh. <laughs> he knew I smoked weed because he smelled it one Monday morning when he came to do work. And it was the craziest thing too, because you know how Mondays are. I'm like, I'm rolling out of bed, turning my computer on because I was working from home uh, while I got this work done on my house. And, and so Monday got there a lot quicker than I expected. Oh. And so usually I would have aired out my house if I knew somebody was coming in to do some work, right? <laughs> but I didn't have time. So he knew. Yeah. But, and so he told this gentleman who I was doing some other business with, um, he told him, which, you know, you hate that somebody was talking about you telling your business, but it worked out. Like, she smoked weed. Um, you know, she smoked yep. weed? Okay. So that ended up being my first client in wow. the cannabis space. Okay. And I leveraged exactly what you hit on, my project management background, uh, my understanding of what had already happened from mm-hmm. a policy perspective, mm-hmm. and then trying to now engage on the client's behalf, as well as my personal advocacy. Um, so that's kind of how the whole thing just, it, it was a, a, a real perfect storm of me still balancing, you know, the risk gotcha. and not jumping in in 2013, not going to work for somebody else and, you know, riding that roller coaster, um, but, but really truly building um, for myself. Mm-hmm. And to help other people, like it was for you. Oh yeah, it was for. It had a bigger purpose. Seems like. Well, and that's the part that I figured out along the way. Okay. So as you're taking on clients, because this thing is so near and dear to my heart, you know, I want to align myself with the things that I truly believe in, and so, you know, having a, a, a project management background, knowing the you know consulting fee that I can command in the corporate environment. Um, you know, I came in with this experience and this background, but I had to also channel what was, you know, my passion for the plant. And I had to make sure that I could reconcile everything that I was doing from a business perspective to in this space with my legalization efforts. Like, how do we do this thing right? How yes. do I help the most people? Definitely. And I'm about my people. And Mm -hmm. so where I can be about breaking generational curses as it's related to this plant, and that's around incarceration. That's around abuse of the plant or any substance. Oh, and and, you know what I'm saying? That is the that is the financial generational uh, 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 curses that we're going to break by creating uh, generational wealth and really changing the mindset of uh, ownership, uh, entrepreneurship. how we consume and spend in this country, you know, it's a, it's a, it's this industry is a place for me to align all of those passions. And guess what? There are a lot of people out here doing that, doing that work. So, you know, when you asked earlier, was I responsible for that? No. But what Marilyn taught me was if you aren't at the table (laughs) contributing to what this, you know, the legal, the the political game, like, if you're mm-hmm. not involved there, uh-huh. we will be left behind. Oh, wow. Well, okay, so in Maryland, okay, so you were not a part of them bringing the idea to Maryland, but I thought, I think a birdie told me, you testified in front of Congress not that long ago. Oh, yeah. So we're talking about, you know, six years ago when all of this was going down in Maryland. Okay. You know, once I saw how plugged in you needed to be to survive from a business perspective I realized how how important it was for me to understand cannabis not from a standpoint of hey I own a business or I work for somebody in this industry uh, but I'm building this industry yeah and there's a there's an important (laughs) yeah there's an important voice that's often left out of conversations um when things in this country are being built so uh, 
you know, for me, I very quickly got involved in, you know, state level advocacy, um, local level, as well as um, advocacy on the federal level. And so um, as I was building this business, right, because some people are going to say, hey, hold on, I'll come back and get everybody once I build my, right. you know, once I, right, they want to, they want to make sure they're straight first. Right. Well, the time, the, the, the timeline um, in this industry is such that you really have to build, bring people along. Um, you have to, you have to do it all. At the same time. Like, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And so as I was building budding solutions, um, the minority cannabis business association was launched and I joined day one. It was April 420, uh, 2016. So I joined the organization very quickly was invited to the board. And then, uh, within a year, um, in leadership for this organization. Wow, it's been that and, long though. Like it doesn't seem yes. like. I mean, you're talking about four and six years ago, and to me, this was like last week. You know, I just remember. I know that like, okay. it it goes by that fast. It happens wow. that fast. So yes. when I joined, you know, what was happening for me on the business side was very isolating. I I I, I, I very much felt like I was on an island. My clients didn't look like me. But mm-hmm. I was in the zone. I was in the space. I I, I was making my way. So I'm building right. my business. And but what it came down to one day for me was a hearing. It was a commission hearing, and it was public. Uh, folks were providing comments, and this was at the point where applications had been submitted. And so companies that were buying for these licenses were advocating on their behalf. Um, but certainly also in the interest of the industry looking a certain way. We're going to get, we're going to dig in. I know you got some more to say, but just so you know, we're going to dig into that part because I do Mm -hmm. have a bunch of questions coming from, you know, the golf industry, you know, it it, kind of feels like the the cannabis industry is the new golf industry. We'll we'll get into that. Oh yeah. I can't (laughs) wait to talk about that. Um, but that's what was happening. I okay. saw how the industry was shaping up and I said, I have to connect with some people who have, you know, um, you know, aligned interests. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was other black people in this country that were trying to do the same thing I was doing in Maryland, you know, whether it was consulting or it was a, a cultivator or, you know, somebody who wanted to open a dispensary or owns a dispensary. I wanted to be connected to the folks in this business that looked like me. Right. Well, the reality is, is that there is not a lot of diversity in this industry today. So there certainly wasn't five years ago. Oh, man. And we needed to, you know, really be um, on the same page, working together uh, so that we could not only leverage that in business, but more importantly, leverage it on the policy side. So once I got connected to the MCBA, there were so many just bright minds uh, that have done policy work. You know, the folks who had written um, and passed legislation legalizing cannabis in medical states, in adult use states. Um, the board of directors, uh, in, when I joined the organization, uh, was not just folks like myself, but also medical doctors, you know? Uh, also, nice. just, it, it was that, it was a great representation of all the things um, that folks could be doing in the space. And I, I really enjoyed it. And what was most important was really learning how to be effective in policymaking, being able to build that team, being able Absolutely. to rally people together. Yes. Yeah, bringing a hundred, you know, uh, bringing a hundred people together uh, in Atlanta, bringing you know, forty minds together in a room, mm-hmm. you know, in, in in different states over the years. Um, to, to say, hey, if we were able to build the best policy at the local, state, federal level, what would it look like? And I've been able to leverage my network um, in this industry to, like I said, bring that, that, that group of people together to model and, and, and what we want in an equitable industry. Mm-hmm. And I, after producing uh, a couple of uh, pieces of model legislation um, through the MCBA, it just opened up my eyes and I'd been just rolling up my sleeves and, and 
pounding the pavement in D.C. And, you know, folks knew uh, who I was, what I was doing, and, and the folks that I was representing. And, yes, they asked me to testify. Um, the Small Business Committee um, uh, of Congress, you know, they had a hearing on how they could be helpful to the cannabis industry. And what was amazing is that the chairwoman of the Small Business Committee, Representative um, Nydia Velasquez, she is... Uh, you know, a very, very smart woman who is, you know, leveraging what she can do as a policymaker to ensure that this, um, that, you know, what she's responsible for is, is helpful to our effort. And that is, you know, minorities, it's people that have been impacted by the war on drugs, okay. it's, it's small That's businesses, it. right? Mm-hmm. It's small businesses. It was, it was amazing to work with her office um, and, and, and the, I still, that was the highlight of last year for me. And I still feel chills because there were so many people who reached out and said, I felt like I was standing there. When you said this, I knew that you were like, I was speaking for the people, but I was really speaking for myself. That's your passion though, Shanita. You are an amazing woman. Just know that if no one else tells you that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Because this is huge. And I mean, and we're, and I, I mean, I keep pushing it down and we're going to still get to the business side of it. But, you know, on one hand, I'm like, so you mean to tell me, and I'm being facetious, of course, that you can get stuff done. Well, let me put it like this. You did more than just share a post and say it on social media and think things are supposed to change. Right. <laughs> right. And that's real. Like, there were some people real. that have jumped on this bandwagon. And I try not to be, I try not to put ego in anything I do. And this is definitely not the place for it. But there have been people who have, in my opinion, not leveraged their platform fully. Mm-hmm. You know, a hashtag, a tweet, um, a video. Let's be real. Like, yeah. okay, but yeah. what are you doing? But what are, you have to do the work. And exactly. I mean, this is, and you have been... I mean, I'm really blown away that this has been five years. Like, I'm it's amazing. Oh. I'm celebrating five years. Um, Budding Solutions, you know, five years um, in a couple of months, and like, you know, I am. Thank you. I am celebrating it. You know, in in every way, right? Of course, I'm just happy to still be in business. Yes. You know, that in and of itself has been a journey. And up until this year, all of my business meaning how I eat. (laughs) Not all the work I do, but how I eat. Yes. All of my business, you know, has been consulting and and building businesses and and all of these things. And I haven't been what they call plant touching. But last year, uh, we finished the the, uh, construction on our cultivation facility in Pennsylvania. And it was finally, yes, yes. Good yes, pleasure. we are Thank in business. You. We have plants in the ground, okay? <laughs> we are, yes, one of 25 uh, businesses licensed to cultivate and manufacture medical cannabis in the state of Pennsylvania. And so, um, Doc House, we'll have products coming to market um, in the summer. So we we are in our first um, cultivation for... for um, the Pennsylvania medical market um, after a very long time. You know, we started, I met my partners in 2016. We started working on this, meaning applying for the license in 2017. And in 2019, we finally were finished with construction, finished with this phase of construction. So uh, we had the ability to not only um, have our final inspection by the state of Pennsylvania to start business, uh, but then we were actually able to start growing. So, it, it's been a journey, but it felt really, really good. And so celebrating not only the Budding Solutions um, anniversary this year, but also just, you know, the budding of so many of those seeds um, that I've been planting over the years and, you know, encouraging and motivating people to get in this game when, you know, things weren't always, you know, rainbows and sunshine in the endeavors that I was, uh, you know, taking on. And so it's so this celebration is really for, you know, not only five years of my business surviving, but everybody around me that has, 
you know, really been on this journey with me, you won't believe how reassuring it is. You know, some of these conferences, and it's only a handful of them. I know I'm at a conference every other week, but <laughs> a handful of these conferences are like staples. They're the thing that I have to go to for business development. But then the other, there are a couple of things where not only do I handle the business, but I reconnect with the people that have been on this journey. And it's been amazing to see people you know, fail and bounce back. It's been amazing to see the successes that have come for uh, folks in this industry and in my circle in this industry. Um, and so, yeah, this celebration is really going to be for, 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 for folks that have gotten in this thing and stuck it out because it ain't easy. You know, that's a great segue into one of my most burning questions for you. Um, the application process and the controversy behind getting into getting licensed to get into the industry. I mean, you said you were one of was it seven or ten in Pennsylvania? Um, in Pennsylvania, there are twenty five cultivators. 25. Okay. Yeah, twenty five. Yeah. So this just the application process itself, because I was looking at some things that happened in California, where it was some type of glitch where certain mm-hmm. people got in early and you know yes. some people couldn't get in and then all of the it was it was something that was set aside really for the people who were impacted the worst by or the most by um the whole war on drugs but yes. the people who ended up getting in and get their applications approved and you know some of the people that's in the industry don't look like the people who were impacted oh my gosh let me tell you something I'm you talking about a segue <laughs> That is a segue. Not only are we going to talk about something that is, you know, all eyes are on California. Right. Um, but that's also a good segue for me to tell you what I'm working on now. <laughs> good, this is good. so exciting. Yes. Good. All right. So you have the you have the 30 second summary of what's happening as it relates to cannabis social equity in L.A. So I just gave you a very specific thing that's happening in the industry right now. Okay. So one of the big areas of, 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 of legalization that I am focused on is ensuring that people that were impacted by the war on drugs, and we know those were black people and brown people, right? Yes. We know the communities. We know the people. And just like you said, we know what it's supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. And so... Now that LA has been through the process of awarding licenses, you know, they're, they're calling it, if you want to be technical and specific right now, the city of LA has invoiced 100 people who submitted applications for a license mm-hmm. and a social equity license specifically to open up a dispensary in LA. So... It started with California legalizing adult use cannabis. And they had, you know, for decades, a medical program uh, and they passed a full legalization. And, you know, it's been it's been turbulent for anybody in the industry there. But the city of L.A. um, is led by a young woman uh, named Kat Packer, the L.A. program, cannabis program. It's black, Um, too. Yes. Yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. So, um, and Kat Packer has done uh, most of her work in drug policy reform. So, and she's a black woman who's committed to, you know, seeing our communities thrive. I mean, just sharp, intelligent, just, and, and, and connected to the culture. Mm-hmm. So for me, especially, you know, having a national organization, having, you know, a, 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 a voice, and I'm not going to jump out there and say the voice around social equity right. and cannabis, okay. but I mean... For me, you are the voice, so... Well, <laughs> I got you. And so for a lot of people, I was. So when, you know, I, I've, and I've been working on this so much. As a matter of fact, Kat Packer was um, a participant in our municipal model ordinance so our our policy summit to develop a municipal model ordinance this is that model policy that i'm telling you about that i mentioned earlier that you can actually go in and plug and play oh y'all legalize cannabis 
here's how you can uh, create a social equity program in, in your city. Here's how you do it. And, right. and listen, we got the best practices. We have looked at programs that exist. We said how it should. We've said what needs to be done to avoid these pitfalls. We, you know, connected with every single stakeholder um, that should be considered as you create this type of policy. So we, we, we have that developed. She was a part of that. And we've been able to, you know, spread that throughout the country. Now, here she is in LA, the world's biggest cannabis market mm-hmm. um, with a community that is obviously, you don't have to do any data research. We know South Central LA. We know, we know, right? We understand the police and who they are in that community. If you're, you know, just alive. Mm-hmm. You fully understand what social equity means if you understand a few things about black communities and this country. Right. LA is something so, that comes to mind first. I mean, we yeah, we tend absolutely. to the standard is kind of set there for some reason. I mean, it could be the music, I don't know, but we kind of look at what's going on out there. Absolutely. There there are some when you think about black cities. You know, and I understand that LA isn't a black city, but I'm talking about cities with significant black populations. Like Atlanta. Exactly. Baltimore, Chicago, Baltimore, Detroit. Chicago, yes. mm-hmm. Yeah, you you know the city. We know the cities. Yes. So <laughs> when I saw her put into when she was appointed to that role, I felt relief. I was like, okay, boom, LA is gonna be straight. I was like, <laughs> let me go focus on all these other places where social equity is struggling or doesn't exist. Right. Um, and then I looked up and, and she was being attacked from every angle. Every and this program yes. right. And this program was being attacked. And let me be clear, I, you know, again, leading the MCBA, we did a study on or participated in a study on um basically scoring social equity programs in a few places. But LA was where we started because it was an it, it was already up and running. We had those the the subject there. Um so I have been critical of the program, but I've been critical of the program, never of CAT. Right. I've been critical of the program, um, but certainly preface any of my criticism with an understanding that it's a new program and this work is just tough. Whether you're talking about the industry or you're talking about the advocacy um, side of it. So... It was, it was, so, so yes. So that's where we are in LA. Yes. Apparently there were some people who got into the system um, and were able to start their application. And because it was first come first serve, that is certainly not fair. That is certainly, you know, something that makes, I mean, you've, you've now taken the integrity out of the process. And let's be clear. First come first serve should have never been the way. Exactly. Especially when the focus was supposed... Now, this is my opinion. Like, I can't speak from a a place of knowing anything. That's why I'm depending on you. But if it's first come, first serve, but it's supposed to serve a specific group of people, how was that even going to make sense? Well, that was the thing. You could only apply for the license if you qualify for the program at that point. But is that what happened? Right. So qualified for the program is another area of, so again, my criticism of the program started with first, well, let's, let's just talk about what we talked about so far. First come first serve ain't it. Right. You know, I also have a problem with limited licenses, but if you're going to say a number of licenses are for this group of people, then yes, that, then the, the, the person who's responsible and ultimately owns this license needs to reflect who was intended to benefit from this program. And those were people that were impacted by the war on drugs. Now I'm not saying that every face of the war of, you know, every victim of the war on drugs looks like me. I certainly am not saying that. And I also understand that even within that, so let's back up a little bit. So let's talk about how the the, the law was passed. Okay. Okay. When we talk about the program in the state of California, you cannot say you cannot, you know, use race to award 
what is essentially a city contract. You know, this is a, okay, I mean, a, a yeah. city license. It's a okay. business license. Got it. So the, the, the city, the state of California prohibits that. So what we did, and here's the thing. This doesn't have to be about how you feel. We mm-hmm. have data. Data to back up everything that we are asking for as it relates to social equity. All right? So we have data uh, done by zip code, and I'm being, I'm, I'm going to come back to why that's important. We have data based on zip code that can help us, that will qualify you for the program. So if you live in a particular zip code, you qualify for LA social equity program. If you, okay. yeah. So let me, so, yep. So here, but you also can qualify if you have a cannabis conviction. So you had a, 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 a possession charge back in the day and it's been keeping you, um, it's been keeping you down. You know, you couldn't get a job. You couldn't get a student loan. You can't rent an apartment. Uh, all these things. Oh, let's go a step further. You actually had a felony. So, you know, in some places you can't vote. So, you know, you're impacted by this arrest. Um, and then you also could have been in a family where someone was, so if your father was locked up for, you know. For the war, um, for drugs or whatever, right? Yep, for cannabis. Okay. They're specific. If it, you know, cannabis and it's nonviolent in a lot of places. And if, you know, the interesting thing is that you can only have these uh, records expunged if it's not attached to certain other crimes. So that's also tricky as well. But, but high level, by looking at where a person grew up, and the arrest data related to that area at the time, right? The war on drugs. We knew when it was heavy, 80s, 90s, 2000s. <laughs> now. Um, now. Yeah. <laughs> we, you can look at that data and come up with some, you know, a range of zip codes that, that cover people that live in these communities. So we got the communities and we had the people who were arrested regardless of what community they lived in. Um, and people who were, you know, uh, victims. So siblings, uh, children, spouse, that kind of thing. All right. So now you have these people who qualify for the program. And yes, they said first come, first serve. Um, they applied. Some people who qualify for the program didn't have the aptitude to deliver Okay. In a timely manner. Okay. So even if everybody started when the clock started, there were going to be some people who just don't work well under pressure. So let me tell you what, my in my professional opinion, mm-hmm. if you were applying for this license, you needed to be somewhere with a dedicated landline, not even Wi-Fi, right? You think right. it's 2020, you know, it's 2019 at the time. Well, you talking about a landline. People were trying to submit these applications using Starbucks Wi-Fi. Oh. Really? And, and let me tell you why that's important. It's important because there were people who were sophisticated enough to know, well, I need a social equity. I need somebody who's qualified for social equity, but I need somebody who can get the job done as it relates to completing this application. I need somebody who can finance what it's going to take to build out a dispensary and, 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 and you know, buy inventory and run the business before there's all, ever any uh, revenue generated. And then I'm going to need someone who can, you know, manage compliance and all these things. So the best qualified person to do this needed so many things in place to be successful in a first come first serve for a hundred licenses when thousands applied scenario. And I know that because I've been in these other medical markets where it's competitive for a limited number of licenses uh, imagine applying for you know what is a, essentially 338 licenses in the state of Missouri and there were you know almost 2700 applications mm-hmm. I, so, I, mean, I guess you have to looking at the other side I mean I guess you have to put something in place um, but you know I kind of just I just kind of felt like like you said you had to qualify and some right. of those names like I, I was you know, I saw some of the actual names of the application. Yeah. And I'm trying to figure out, did they qualify those people to see if they qualified? So, so let me give you another. So just, so let's, 
think about other things that have happened. We fully understand gentrification is taking place throughout the country. What 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 used to be a community that was over policed at the time, that didn't have grocery stores, didn't have you know um, restaurants and 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 healthcare, you know uh, medical care, you know these communities that are lacking. Uh, what happens? Rich people buy them up buy up the property, they build it, they they make it what they want to make it. And so guess what? Some people did qualify for um, the program, but were not impacted by the war on drugs. Other people that you saw in that room didn't qualify or I'm thinking about when I yeah, I'm thinking about an article that was, was written recently that talked about now that the 100 um, awards, now that the 100 people who got in the first right 100 they qualify. Now that those people have been named, um, there was a meeting those folks met. Mm-hmm. But out of the 100 people, like 60-some showed up, and the person in the room that I talked to, and this article both said how when you looked around that room, you knew it wasn't the face of social equity. Okay. It wasn't the face of who should be benefiting from a this program, program. Like this. Right. Absolutely. So that room, the 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 hundred social equity licenses in California are represented right now by what appears to be white men and Armenian men. Armenian names is what I saw. I saw. White so men. I knew that's what you were talking about. Yeah. <laughs> like this don't sound like nobody that was impacted by the war on drugs. We yeah. know better. And yeah. the reality is, is that. You know, until we tighten up the policy, until we tighten up the uh, the uh, qualifications, until we really wrap our heads around this and start treating it like other industries, then we're going to have um, a problem. You know, there's there's social equity being done um, in other industries and we need to come together, which is why it's so exciting um, that I'm now working with a social equity company. Mm-hmm. So this social equity company fourth movement is really focused on people power empowering people and then putting the resources tools um, around them to create successful businesses that not only impact that partner but of course the community that they come from okay the so community me, that they're operating in so tell me more about that so the, the business itself um does it help with well hang on and I know, and I'm glad you brought that up. So within this business, does it help with the application process and, you know, the tools that's needed? Or is this something totally different? No, this is the answer to social equity. Okay. And so as it relates to cannabis, because we aren't just saying social equity is, is needed in the cannabis industry. We're saying social equity is needed in this country oh, because Black people, okay. right, because gotcha. Black people and underserved people in this country are left behind. If you, if you, so here's, here's the deal, right? We understand a few things. So fourth movement is a, is a social equity organization. We are organizing, um, in New York right now and, and positioning ourselves to do the work that we've done in LA and Chicago, um, in New York city. And so, you know, what, Fourth Movement is is first and foremost minority owned. So I'm and I start there because it's important for you to know who's doing this work because then you understand the why. True. You know, True. and and Fourth Movement wants to see people of color not just survive but thrive. And you said earlier, do you do the application? Do you what? What do you do? We know what it takes to thrive, uh-huh. right? Because uh-huh. we have assembled a team of people that truly partner with social equity applicants. And so we partner with them to train them. So we start with personal and professional development before we're even having a conversation about the cannabis business. Oh, You know? So we start there. And then we understand what that process takes and so we're not going to try to take you through a crash course in application prep. We aren't trying to give you a bunch of templates and send you on your own. No, <laughs> we're partnering with you and we are developing you in a way that you understand what's happening 
but we're using best in class resources to make it happen. We apply on behalf of our partner. Love it. Love it. Love it. So they yeah. they put out no money. So when oh, you start talking about thousands and thousands of dollars in application fees when you applying for these business licenses, our partners don't they they don't come out of pocket. They don't take that risk. Wait up, wait. Okay, you're gonna have to clear that up because that kind of because I don't want people to confuse it. But you know what you said may be true and it may have been clear, but you know. I want to repeat it. So this business, let's use me for an example. If I mm-hmm. want to come and work with Four Movement, right? Fourth Movement. Fourth yep. Movement. Okay. Um, you're going to first develop me, professionally develop me. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then after I'm professionally developed, we start discussing what? So after we know that you qualify for the program and you invest in yourself by going through this personal and professional development now we're ready to figure out who out of this group of people that we're working with we want to partner with to apply on your behalf right so once Uh you've been selected to partner with us Uh we Apply for the license on your behalf. We are partners in this. Gotcha. So that and so, so the investment in myself is the time commitment. Just being committed to the process. Is that correct? That's not monetary. absolutely. It's it's showing okay. progress. It's showing it's showing us who you are because this is a partnership. Right. We want to know that you're going to show up in a way that will make not only your business, our business, successful but that you're going to do it in a way that pays forward the investment in you. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So you're going to be, you're going to operate that business. You're going to be in that community. You're going to be a partner and, and, and a, a part of, you know, fourth movement. And so our CEO, Kareem Webb, Okay. His vision for fourth movement is 10,000 businesses. In the cannabis industry? No. A great question. (laughs) This can't be, we can't save black people with cannabis. Okay. And this is me talking. I've been saying this for years. Say that again. Yes, we can't save black people with cannabis. You know, you get these people who go so hard. We want social equity. We want social justice. Black people want, you know, reparations. Well, black people are owed reparations. Let's be clear. I'll never deny that. And I will Mm -hmm. fight for reparations for black people. Mm -hmm. But they shouldn't come from the cannabis industry. First of all, the cannabis industry can't afford to pay black people what they're owed. Because we are talking about the trillion. Talk about that. Because didn't black people build that whole infrastructure? Even though they went to prison... I mean, that's exactly it. When you talk about cannabis with people and you talk about social justice and criminal justice reform, you talk about cannabis prohibition and the fact that from a a criminal justice, uh, the application of criminal justice, it was applied disproportionately and, and unfairly to black people and brown people. You know, arrest rates for a, a, for weed, right? For cannabis, Mm -hmm. you know, between white men and, and, and black men, Mm-hmm. They use cannabis at, at about the same rate. I mean, almost equal rate of usage. Yeah, yeah. But when you talk about who's being arrested for it and then the time that these people are being sentenced to, it's it's disproportionate. Mm-hmm. And yes, yeah, so we bore the brunt of it. And yeah, let's be clear, as the industry is built, a lot of people who who, whether it was the war on drugs, whether it was just serving patients before this became a commercial thing whether it was you know whatever it was yes those are the people being left behind so you can talk about the farmers who have been growing cannabis that are being being pushed out um because you know there is so much venture capital and 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 private money coming into the space um with the sophistication of the industry, which I was begging for, right? Remember uh-huh. when I was too scared to get into it? Uh-huh. The sophistication <laughs> that I wanted so much is costing a lot of people 
you know, the 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 opportunity to benefit from and to to work in this space the way they want to. Um, so another really, really important conversation to have is, you know, really preserving and elevating um, the legacy, you know, farmers and cultivators right on down to what people, you know, think of when they think of a dope boy or, 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 you know, somebody who was growing in their basement. Right. Or, you know, somebody who was, there's just so many people that have, like you said, built this unregulated industry that we need to help transition and yeah. to to benefit from the, the, the legalized industry. Yeah. Um, and that's part of the work I'm doing. Um, but yeah, so you you we take you in, you qualify for the program, you stand out amongst that large group of people because guess what? A lot of people want the opportunity to own a dispensary without spending any money. So you know, because that was one of my questions about the startup cost and investment, because I know it is a, an amazing amount of money, but it sounds like fourth movement is will help alleviate some of that. Like it will really help you know, get people in it without having to come up with millions and millions of dollars. I mean, am I correct there or am I off? You're absolutely right. We provide all the upfront costs. What? We provide all of the upfront costs, the training, and every tool you need to be successful. We don't want you to get that social equity license and then go belly up. We don't want you to, to, to invest your life savings starting a business that you don't know how to run. Which happens if you all have the time. Life, right, if you have life savings, right? Because let's talk about the, 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 the state of affairs as it relates to our financial um, well-being in this country. Mm-hmm. You know, we're headed to a negative, we're, we're headed to a negative net worth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in the next several years. Uh, but but no, we partner with you to to bring this um, vision to to fully take advantage of the opportunity that social equity programs are affording. So yeah, no money out of pocket. We're partnering with you to get this business up and running, and then we're putting a machine behind you to make sure that you are competitive in this space. Who wants to open a business to close it six months later? Who wants to launch a business to you know go out of business in? A two year, years and two years yeah yeah i mean because it takes a lot of capital like even like when i i've been to california a few times last i went last year and I, i've visited a few of the dispensaries because i'm you know curious i'm like oh you can do this without going to jail let's see what's going on you know and the the amount of you know just being a business person and as soon as I walk in the door, I'm calculating numbers, right? Like oh, yeah. and this and that. And that. That is a lot of move. There's a lot of moving pieces. Uh, it's just a lot going on in there. And you can't say, oh, I got $5,000 in the bank. I'm about to roll with this. That's not going to cut it. Mm-hmm. So exactly. this is like what you're doing with Fourth Movement is absolutely amazing. And I love the fact that you have to basically qualify to do it, you know, because a lot of people say they want to and don't want to put in the work. And oh, a lot absolutely. of that is time, you know. Yeah. You, you definitely have to develop professionally. So, I mean, this is great. This is great. And I'm going to keep watching. I'm going to keep watching you because you do, you, you're just, you're just changing the face of this thing. You know, it, it's just, now my dad, on the other hand, he'll still say, I hadn't seen or had no weed since 19 whatever but <laughs> and, and like he wouldn't touch it like you know he's just one of them you know the boys grew up back in the day and they may have played around with it but if you say something about it now it's just like what no you know right but you know you're really you as being just such an integral part of what's going on I, I'm just honored to know you and to have you on this podcast because this you Thank are doing you. amazing amazing things so I have two more questions for you though Okay. One is um, so you were talking about leveraging your network to get those policies written, or um, what do you say? Something you were you were doing um, in, in the um, go- it's not the government space. Was it policies that you guys were? Writing? Oh yeah, absolutely. Model okay. policy, and then advocating for you know improved policy and and new policy where it's needed. Right. Okay. So with that, um, how could you, because I know we, we didn't really talk too much about it, but you and I met in golf. And how could you leverage golf with your business? 
I have to get better at leveraging <laughs> golf for my business. So it's so interesting. Sorry about that. When I first got into the space years ago, um, I wasn't talking to people who played golf. I was talking <laughs> to people who, you know, smoked weed and hung out with other people who smoked weed. They grew weed, you know. It was right. very much, you know, me immersing myself in a culture that didn't feel um, quite authentic to me, but we had this cannabis piece in common. And then as uh, my network within cannabis grew, I met the folks who were corporate from government, um, from, you know, politics, and all of those people play golf. So once my network kind of elevated and changed, I was like, oh man, I need to be playing golf. I don't even really have time to play golf. Um, and so now the invitations are rolling in. Hey, Shanita, you know that conference that we're going to in Phoenix? Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to play some golf. Or Shanita, we're doing a tournament. Would you... Hello? Okay, I'm here. Uh -huh. Sorry. That's good. Um... Where, where, would MCBA like to sponsor? Absolutely. Uh, but then I wasn't confident in my golf game to even That's what I participate. Was to say. <laughs> yeah. So I was, yeah. the opportunity presented itself and I could not capitalize on, uh, on, on those moments. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, to get reconnected to the game. I've already got my, my budding solutions, uh, branded okay. <laughs> golf nice. shirts. I am so ready. Um, and, and really Good. looking forward to uh, reconnecting with something that I am, you know, excited to learn about. Um, I think it will quickly become another uh, green passion of mine. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. No, and, I, I, and I only ask that because, you know, I know we, we what's about probably three years now since we've been, you know, playing golf or whatever, but as sometimes we, we kind of start and then we put it down and then the, come, the um, invitations come in and you're like, man, I wish I had to kept going. And that's kind of the, the thing that I like to, you know, tell people just learn it and then just get out there. Oh, um, yeah. And then you were saying that you don't have time. And so as females, I know we're always saying, you know, because golf does take a lot of time. Like when you oh, yeah. a female to play golf, it's like, okay, so on top of this, this and this, I got to go out here for a few hours. But then your market and your people that you want to talk to they have made time to be out there so we just got to force that in as well oh yeah i mean if i can justify it i've mm -hmm. had i've had you know productive conversations um in both the advocacy world or business mm -hmm. um over you know activities that at a cigar bar right so there are places where you give up those couple hour blocks and it's not even something that you like um, right. or, or something that you necessarily want to be doing. Right. Um, so I totally know that I would leverage, I mean, I would extend that invitation. I think, you know, inviting someone to play, even if you're talking about nine holes, right? You right. have four hours, but you got right. time for nine holes. Yeah. You can do, you know, you can take a meeting. That's, matter of fact, if you're paying for it, right? And I know golf etiquette, if I invite you, that's going to get you the meeting. Imagine if you say to somebody that's super busy, right? <laughs> oh, you want to meet me at this? <laughs> at this, um, you know, restaurant or in this, at this coffee shop or you want to meet me. You got to get two hours of conversation where right. somebody's going to be pushing that 15, 30 minute, you know, Right. pushing it for a 15 minute 30 minute conversation when they're doing something that they don't want to be doing so that's where I am with it um and 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 like I said committed to leveraging it uh, <laughs> this year right okay good and then my last question and, and thank you I didn't mean to just run past it but I thank you for sharing that um because you know I can tell people about the importance and the need to be able to play golf even if you don't play you can skip months like no one cares just know what to do so I, I really thank you for sharing that um the other and last question I have for you is people that may feel defeated by the perception of getting into the cannabis industry what um advice or how can you motivate them or what what will you tell these people 
I typically don't have to motivate people to get in the industry. When people are interested, it's really about kind of guiding them so that they don't um, get burned or burnt out. Um, okay. Because there are so many opportunities. There are so many ways to get involved. Um, what's, what I like to do is really, you know, I like to have that real conversation with people. I'm not here to sell you a dream. Okay. I know what it takes to get into this industry from, you know, a, a consulting perspective or some kind of ancillary business. You're an accountant. You So that's what you do. So getting into cannabis, that's a, that's one transition. Totally different from somebody who says, you know, I'm a, uh, I work at the mall. I'm, I'm in retail and I want to open a dispensary. And I'm like, okay, great. I can work with that. But let me, let me lay out what that means for you. Because it isn't going and getting a piece of real estate and then going and buying some weed. Right, because that's what you would do if you were in any other retail business. Right. That's how you, right? right? But no, so I have to be in, and I'm a consultant too, so I have to balance this. Um, but I have to be real with you first. That's my role now, mm -hmm. um, five years. Mm -hmm. And when I talk about budding solutions, you know, my clients have to be, um, I'm serving a very specific clientele. Um, I have I've seen a lot and so I, I'm able to just kind of share my experiences with people so that they have some piece of the reality as they you know get on the internet and start doing the research go uh, go to these conferences everybody mm -hmm. will sell you a dream you know right. people will say hey come to this $700 seminar and I'll teach you how to win a cannabis license that ain't uh, it oh you know but what? guess what them Does people doing those yeah, that's happening. People are getting money. Oh. And, and and everybody calls it, you know, so like during the gold rush, you know, there were the people who, the miners, who got rich because they were actually able to, you know, find gold. But then there were the other people who sold the picks and shovels, right, who were oh. going to get rich because everybody was going out there wanting to mine gold. That's, that's me. I want to do the picks and shovels. <laughs> right. So consulting was a pick and shovel, but I never wanted to take advantage of people. Oh, you know, yeah. People have said to me, Shanita, you should have a multi-million dollar uh, co uh, consulting business by now. Mm. Well, I could. But you know, I could go. Is. I could go crank out applications every time a state opens it up and 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 make you know six figures on yeah. yeah 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 and 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 then right mm -hmm. when those licenses come out and people are like so what's your record or how many people have you helped or you know people are writing reviews or talking about you you know in the industry and I'm like yeah she charged me six figures and you know my application was tossed out mm -hmm. uh, now here's the reality. You can pay me six figures and we do all the work and we still don't get it. But you have to understand that. And you right. have to be committed to going down this path. You also have to be committed to the bigger call. Right. Which is making sure that this is a responsible industry. And I mean that from a social, you know, responsibility standpoint, you know, hold cannabis accountable for social responsibility like you would anybody else. But we have our own skeletons in the closet that aren't really skeletons in the closet because everybody knows that the government targeted black people and that's came for us. That, that's not a secret. Yeah, not they a locked secret. us up. They're running for-profit prisons. And, and, and they're taking away any opportunity to own property and land in this country and a few other things. And it's documented. And, like, this is documented information. You too. Sorry about that. Uh -huh. It's absolutely documented. Um, and that's a lot of the, the you know, this, this journey for me has been so informative, enlightening, uh, awakening. It's been all of those things because, you know, not only am I typically researching cannabis policy and, 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 and you know, typical business strategy, I'm also doing a lot of research on how we got here as a country. You know, read the color of law and you'll understand how our government segregated this country. Mm. Okay? Read why we can't wait. It was how I understood that Fourth Movement was a company that I wanted to, to, to pour my blood, sweat, and tears into. Mm -hmm. Okay? Mm -hmm. You know, there's so many things that historically, uh, systemically, institutionally 
Um, there's so much already there that we have to work uh, against, that we have to uh, dismantle, that we have to improve. Um, so I want to work with people in the cannabis industry and, and, and in my life that fully understand that so that the work we're doing can actually impact not only just from a business perspective, but from the humanitarian and and and, and community perspective. Mm-hmm. No, this is good. This is so good. And I'm going to bring you back again. I, I have to, because I know there's going to always be updates to what you're doing with Fourth Movement. But I have to humbly thank you again uh, for being on Mulligan Nation. Like, this is just good information and it helps us take a mental mulligan on the words um you know weed cannabis and the industry and how you know there was a target against black people um with the war on drugs and things like that documented and i and i have to always say documented because certain people are going to believe what they want to believe but their facts are facts you know if it's Mm -hmm. there it's there so um thank you for sharing your knowledge thank you for doing what you do i really appreciate you for being here Thank you for having me. Anytime, um, I'm certainly uh, more than willing to come back and, and share updates. Good. Um, take questions. Good. Um, yeah, and I, okay, really so just... I'm going to hold you to that because I'm going to open it up. The next one, the next time you come back, I'm going to get people to call in um, with their questions because I'm sure, or maybe they write them in. We'll figure out the best way to do that because we don't want to yeah. get weird. But um, yeah, I, I know because I mean, you just blew my mind with a lot of information. So. Um, yeah, I will definitely uh, reconnect soon. Absolutely. And I will see you on the golf course. Yes, ma'am. All right. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Thank All you. Right. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Mulligan Nation. Be sure to subscribe on Apple iTunes and Spotify. You can also visit Mulligan, no, I'm sorry, Mole Nation, M U L L Nation.com to join our email list. And in closing, don't ever doubt your ability to start over and recreate yourself. We don't know what we don't know, but when we do know better, we are equipped to do better. Until next time, hit them long and hit them straight.